Friday morning on this Erev Shabbos, candle lighting 737. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us for the weekly update on this Friday. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. Good to be with you. Uh, we learned of the passing of Ray Benny alone. I would assume that uh, only 62 years old, by the way, after a battle with cancer, I would assume you had many encounters with him over his lifetime. Yes, he, you know, he served in government. He was a minister of tourism. He held other uh, posts, and in those capacities, we we worked together with him. Indeed, he had been sick. Um, comes from an illustrious family, of course, Judge Alone, and uh, we certainly extend condolences to his family. And, you know, I said earlier in remembering him, I said, yeah, there are some people who, who get the vision of the role of the state of Israel in the history of the Jewish people, and, and you have to say he was one of them, right? He played a very important role. He was very outspoken, stuck to his principles, was um, always consistent. Uh, to say the least. And, and you mentioned tourism a moment ago because of a position he used to hold there. Are you aware of the numbers that are now going through Ben Gurion Airport on a regular basis? I'm talking about in and out, the amount of travel that's happening, plus, of course, uh, to everyone's uh, happiness, the number of people coming to Israel during a month like April with Pesach and now, of course, with the upcoming Yom, Yom, Yom Yerushalayim. Are you, are you aware of just how much better uh, the numbers are travel-wise when it comes to uh, Ben Gurion Airport? Well, I know in the first uh, quarter of the year, this year, it hit uh, 740,000, as I recall the number, which is a record. And that was before the, doesn't include the, the rush for Pesach, which is bigger. And Yom Yerushalayim will have additional people and especially one visitor who's going to take up a lot of seats. <laughs> so Very good. It won't help El Al, but it will help, uh, <laughs> it will help uh, in the hotels. And a lot of people will be bumped who will not be happy. But uh, you can't sue the hotel if they bump you. Just a warning to them. Uh, so plan ahead for the two days um, that uh, or three that will be very complicated in Jerusalem, and especially because it is Yom Yerushalayim. Uh, moving around the city is going to be very difficult. Malcolm, in this audience, you could sue anybody. Don't give anybody the challenge that they can't sue somebody. Are you kidding me? Well, uh, no, I wasn't giving him a challenge. I was just trying to give him a heads up. Don't, don't start planning to get a reservation so you could sue him. You, mean, you get nothing. You mean that it might be easier your way is what you're saying. I think, yeah, plan ahead and take care of it, right? Exactly. Anyway, it's going to be an exciting time to say the least. We remind you that uh, you can log on to Mizrahi.org slash YY50, Mizrahi.org slash YY50, the 24th of um, of May. On that day, we will be doing our Yom Yushalayim program, courtesy of Amit. Our friends at Amit are going to join us that day on the roof of Eshat Torah. Malcolm, you have to admit, we're going to have a really, really good view of Harabayat that day. From there, it's a spectacular view, and I think there will be much to be seen given the tremendous number of events that are, are being planned. Uh, some of them very large official events, others sponsored by different groups. But uh, I think it will be very inspiring. And what more appropriate after the UNESCO voted the past week yeah. than for everybody to come together and to, to counter the charge that uh, Jew, the Jewish claim to Jerusalem is nullified, that uh, it's occupied Palestine to be in, in Jerusalem, and that it's a violation of international law, all sorts of uh, other things inherent uh, in this uh, UNESCO action, which has really no legal 
status per se, but it is, of course, significant. What was important is that 23 countries abstained, 10 of which had before voted against uh, Israel, and uh, 10 voted for Israel, but Italy, Greece, uh, Togo, Paraguay, um, of course, the United States, UK, Netherlands, Lithuania, uh, I think I mentioned Ukraine, and Germany all voted with Israel against the resolution, and I mention them because we should express appreciation, and of all the countries in Europe, only Sweden voted for the resolution. I was wondering why they were singled out. They're the only European country to vote against. That's I vote for, a singular country to vote against. The others abstained. Right. They, the EU tried to come in with a consensus, meaning a total agreement, a united vote. They were unable uh, to do so, but you know, it's continuing efforts by the PA, by the Palestinian Authority, to undermine Israel at a time when their leader came to the United States and, and the Hamas talks of a new page, which the press somehow, I, I can't understand, but they, they buy into some of the stuff that they didn't amend their charter. They didn't, the charter remains. The, the, both of them have not said they're ready to accept the existence of the Jewish state. Uh, the, and we don't need their acceptance. We need them to be really committed to living in peace and to to uh, recognize and not to prejudge and not to continue these, these campaigns. So that the the UNESCO vote, I think the best answer is a really spectacular uh, commitment to Jerusalem. And I, I saw the United States, by the way, was very strong in this. And when this week the vice president hosted for the first time ever a White House event commemorating Yom Ha'atzmaut. And it was really a privilege to be there. And the vice president gave a very strong statement. As you know, he's a very strong supporter um, but the very fact of the event, I think, which was what was of significance, it wasn't very big, um, but it was very important. Oh, no question about it. I saw the video of it, and uh, his statement was amazing. Orrin Hatch was great. Uh, Hatch, Dermer, it was, Ron Dermer, David yeah. Friedman seems to be doing a, a bang-up job as uh, ambassador, I must say. Um, all right. Uh, I will tell you one thing, and I know, and, and not, not to sidetrack, but I, I just have to tell you, I was there. I was there Tuesday, Yom Ha'atzmaut in Israel, and I know we always talk about our ability sometimes to mourn better than our ability to celebrate. Uh, it is amazing to see the celebration, and the state of Israel, the government of the state of Israel, really helps everyone get into the mood because the flags and the decor and the bunting throughout the state as you drive, even from the airport to Jerusalem, is so amazing and so incredible. And then I'll tell you the most heartwarming thing about Tuesday. Um, I'm standing at Sharyafo at Jaffa Gate, and thousands of people of all ages, draped in Israeli flags, are doing a Stand With Us march, Stand With Israel march, and people from Mexico and Panama and every state imaginable in the United States and even European countries are proudly proclaiming that they are standing with Israel. It was really heartwarming and, and nice to see in light of some of the things going on these days. And one of the things that uh, people may not know is that for the 24 hours before Yom Zikaron, the uh, soldiers and people go to every single military uh, cemetery and the graves of and other places and put Israeli flags and uh, to commemorate the 23,544 who fell in, in the battles of Israel and were victims of, uh, of the terrorists. Um, and, it, I mean, it really shows the unity. I think a million and a half people went to visit the cemeteries just on that day. And, you know, it shows Hakar's a real appreciation for those who made the ultimate sacrifice, those who were wounded, those 
And, and as moving as the celebration is, when that a siren sounds and everybody stops, literally, almost, well, most everybody most stops. Most everyone. Yeah. And, uh, and um, it, it is a, a moving tribute and to see the ability to move from, uh, uh, to move almost instantaneously from that sense of mourning and, and remembrance to the celebration is the really, it's, it's like uh, electric bolts go through the country. Yeah, we, we spoke to everybody fast on, on Memorial Day on Monday. I was not aware of the fact that lone soldiers, and you know that Nevis Benefis has a lot to do with lone soldiers, lone soldiers are assigned to go to the graves of lone soldiers, some of them right. from the 1948 war. Right, to the Mahal group. Which is unbelievable, uh, which, 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 which increases the connection, obviously. It's not just visiting, but visiting people who, are, who went through the same situation before their unfortunate passing uh, that they are going through. Right. I think that was, uh, it was very significant. I think we also, when we're celebrating, you know, Israel's population is 10 times what it was when it was founded in 1948, 8.68 million, three quarters of whom are Jewish and 21%, I guess, or so are, are both Muslim and Christian Arabs and the remaining, I don't know, less than 5% are non-Arab Christians and other faiths. And uh, there were 174,000 babies born in and and about 30,000 people emigrated to Israel. So this is, uh, I think, another reason that people could have a lot to celebrate. There, there is so many things for which uh, there is reason to celebrate. There were not even a million people in Israel in 1948. Right. Think and about and they absorbed all of those who now, yeah. you know, you saw again that Hamas is demanding the right of return right. and uh, demanding that, uh, amongst other demands that they continue to put forward, that uh, those people were kept in refugee camps, a lesser number than what Israel absorbed from, from the Arab countries. We, we, we have to be remembered, they should be remembered on this month as well, the 900,000, maybe more Jews who were driven out of Arab countries in, in uh around the time of the creation of the state and before and thereafter uh, uh, and absorbed largely in Israel also in some other countries but it's uh, you know it's something that gets written uh, as a footnote sometimes to history but but should be remembered that there are two refugee populations one that was absorbed and not kept as pawns and the one that was just used as a political football Hey, do you think that uh, 70 is going to be a big deal? Because, you know, once Tuesday passed, we entered year number 70 uh, for the independence of the state of Israel. You think it'll be a massive celebratory year upcoming? I do believe that, well, the, the next year's celebration, I think, will be very unique. I think, uh, but, but we shouldn't wait. It's not the number that, that matters. It's the it's the event, and and we take it for granted too often. And if we don't remind young people about what the real history is, look at how how Abbas and the others, and what I talked about UNESCO, try to distort history because they know the power of it, and uh, and the um, some of the stuff, the reports that we saw this week around the trip of of Abbas to the United States, the distortions, misrepresentations, uh, you know, some of it is, is almost incredible to think that people. Uh, believe the reports uh, about w w what happened and what what is going on, or or, or the history of of these things. So the, they don't know the history of Hamas, the charter, the the fact that uh, that they're claiming all the land. You know, people look at it. And people said, "Well, they're only demanding up to the sixty-seven lines. That's already recognition." It is not. It's a first stage. It's a tactical move on their part. It's not. 
anything that they rescinded or they, they changed the direction. So people have to look beyond the surface of what is being said to, to the nuances and to the significance of the world and of the words. And, and even the idea of regionalization of the conflict, you know, and the solution uh, carries with it some potentially onerous uh, implications in that the, the uh, Arab states in the region have to satisfy their populations. The, the Palestinian Authority has to satisfy the Palestinian uh, population, but they, well, they could be with economic and other matters, which don't matter to the to the our world at large, where you still see in the studies and the polls uh, that overwhelmingly people have hostile views. It is, there has to be a broader effort, and the president raised the issue of incitement uh, and supposedly privately raised the issue of the payments to the terrorists. But there has to be an absolute requirement. I mean, there can't be any continuation of this policy which allows, and, and, and the funding has to be stopped until they uh, stop the, the $300 million a year that goes to encourage, reward, uh, glorify the terrorists and, and or their survivors. It, it's, it's such an outrageous practice, and, and the uh, you know, it should be an absolute requirement that, and I did not go to the reception, you know, we were invited to, to events for uh, Mr. Abbas, and I said, until that happens, we can't go there. We can't pay tribute to or, or be seen as honoring him when he pays people to kill our brothers and sisters and, and others in, in Israel. And then honors them with, uh, and that was your reaction to, uh, it was, excuse me, it was the prime minister's reaction when uh, he, he proclaimed that the PA, that the uh, PA in general teaches their children peace, and then the prime minister reacted by saying, teaches them peace they they actually honor those and pay those who've uh, who've killed and continue to kill israelis and when honor tried to change the textbooks now they objected they won't let them egypt changed the textbooks uh, and again as i say in in all the arab countries there's there's a great deal of work to be done but there are some efforts made uh, look the pa's budget is 14.2 uh, billion dollars i think a year uh, their income is $2 billion a year. And that includes a billion dollars from the United States, the EU, others, which means they have a deficit every year of $2.2 billion. Right. Now, that's why the leverage of the $300 million they pay out to these terrorists is so it can be uh, used to say to them, you lose that money. Every dollar you give to them, we deduct from whatever given. And don't find other ways to do it. We give them $500 million a year. Uh, officially, it's, it's less, but it's cumulatively $500 million a year. Well, that has to be addressed and, and that issue has to be uh, resolved. And, you know, it, the, the tougher we are, the more likely we are to get the, the results that everybody wants to see. Alavai, we only hope that there could be an end to the violence and terrorism and peace and uh, betterment, but it will only come when the United States gives the leadership and the uh, I think the president's visit is uh, the fact that it's the first uh, amongst the three countries he's going. It's the first uh, foreign visit he's placing. If you remember, it took President Obama many years before he visited Israel. Right. Uh, so it is an important uh, declaration. Yeah, I want to ask you about the trip. Aren't, aren't there certain key members of Congress that were really sitting on the president uh, in terms of this whole payment issue? Uh, who, who, who gets kudos? Who, who in Congress have been have been leaders in this area of, of trying to get these payments by the PA or for the PA stopped? Well, there, there are uh, many because the House leadership and the Senate leadership, Lindsey Graham, 
has been very uh, forthright in. I know Ed Royce and Elliot Engel have been supporters, but the the um, uh, the, the problem is that they can't. Get, there's a bill called Taylor Force Bill named for right. the young Marine who was killed in Tel Aviv and a non-Jew who was visiting in Israel, and um, and so far they have not been able to get Democratic co-sponsors because there's some I don't know difference over the content, whatever. Hopefully that will be resolved. And and the more important thing is the principle is established. And there, I think, you have across-the-board uh, support. You saw that 100 senators signed on to the bill that, that um, demanded the U.N. change. And, and I think on this as well, that there is uh, universal support. And one of the things we also should remember on this, you uh, know, are, are um, Hadar Golden and Oran Shaul, whose remains are being held by the... Um, by Hamas and, and refuse to release it, and uh, we have to use every pressure, and we have for a long time. Um, but uh, they were killed in the in the uh, um, during the Israel's defensive war in 2014 in Operation Protective Edge. And I saw, as I told you, I saw his mother's testimony, Hadar Golden's mother's testimony, in front of the Knesset, including the Prime Minister, and it was just a heartbreaking to say the least. America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listeners sponsored digital radio around the world on the web at NahumSiegel.com, on the NahumSiegel Network, and of course on our beloved NSN app. Malcolm Holmline is with us. He's Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. All right, tell me now about the trip. The trip will include, as of now, the Vatican, Saudi Arabia, and Israel. It sounds like uh, they leave the United States on the 19th of May. Uh, which which means I assume they'll be in Israel the very very early part of the week of Yom Yerushalayim week. Um, it also there's a rumor flying that the president wants to have a major address on Masada. Have you heard that? Yes, absolutely. What that you, that what, is what one you, of the things that is being muted. Um, what do you think? Well, I think it'll be very dramatic. That's it's a very sure. symbolic and significant place. It would also lessen the traffic jam in Jerusalem, uh, <laughs> but. <laughs> But if you remember, the I mean, most of them speak in the Knesset. It, it may, uh, President Obama didn't. Uh, and I remember um, I was at George Bush second speech in, in the Knesset, which was uh, very moving. Uh, I think with the, President Obama, there was concern about the reaction of some of the members and the other things, so he found another venue. But the, um, the choice of Masada certainly is very symbolic, but we don't want to look at a place where there was death, but to remember the history and the fact that, you know, those who try to pretend that we had no past there, that certainly symbolizes it in the message that Masada shall never fall again uh, is a very important one. And for the president to identify with it, it could be significant. The, he is going to the Vatican. It shows that he's doing the three religions, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. There could be regional meetings in Saudi Arabia, uh, maybe the Egyptians and Jordanians who obviously would have wanted the president to visit and are upset that he isn't. Um, may meet him there. There are a lot of, lot of options, and they're pushing this, uh, you know, regional approach, which has some value. And, of course, their support for uh, and lessening the tensions with Israel, is, as we have seen, is, is very important. Right. I was going to point that out when you mentioned it earlier. I mean, if, if we're going to be against regionalization or the effort, you know, then we have to start with the White House. It's, you know, it, it seems that they're, they're the ones pushing for it. 
Well, I'm in favor of opening the, of the, and I've spent a lot of time, as you know, working these Arab countries to to break down some of the barriers and to look at new options and opportunities. And the fact that you have now the common threat of, of Iran uniting everyone. Yeah, but if and, not if not done properly, Israel could suffer if the process. So that's the, my point is that while, while people look, at, it was like the you know Russian declaration of West Jerusalem right. saying, oh, well, the embassy belongs in West Jerusalem. Number one, why didn't they just do it? And why isn't their embassy there then but the fact is that it, it is not a good thing what they said because what they gave all of east jerusalem to a palestinian entity essentially and they said west jerusalem is yours nobody's disputing west jerusalem that's not a question and the the and the rest of it is what's supposed to be in in negotiations but it has to be unified we're never going to allow jerusalem to be divided so people have to look beyond just the surface of things to understand what are the ramifications and, uh, uh, you know, it does bolster it, the fact that they give cover to Abbas against, he has tremendous opposition, he's very unpopular in, amongst the Palestinian people, they're fighting the corruption, they, they fight his uh, security measures, he cracks down, they make arrests, they, the, the fighting that goes on in, in the Palestinian camps is not against Israel today, it's against the Palestinian Authority police. And there is still good security cooperation between the PA and, and Israel, and we see every once in a while, you know, significant breaks where they, they arrest a terrorist cell, they arrest uh, individuals who, or, or groups that were inv are involved in some of the uh, attacks that we've seen. But the fact is that the climate continues to be poisonous because of them, and, and to, to look at the broader role to be played by uh, the other countries. One of the things that I learned when in, in the Arab countries when we visit, and even recently, is is they hardly raise the Palestinian issue anymore. You know they're tired of it, and it's become a burden for them. And they see the kleptocracy with all the money that they have poured into the PA not benefiting the people, and they built no economic infrastructure. Or the budget figures would be very different. Um, so th there are uh, opportunities, really unique opportunities, and, and Israel being able to trade and, and uh, work with the countries in the region will be very important and very beneficial. But at the same time, we have to see how will that impact you know, the negotiating stance, because th their concern is about their streets, where this issue still does resonate, even if, if it's not a priority for them. Uh, it, it is always a sensitive issue and, and one that they can't uh, overlook, and can't look appear to be weak in terms of the demand. So if they start all demanding a return to the 67 borders, which Abbas did, he, he, and and uh, he also wanted a, a definitive timetable. He wanted guarantees that they would go back to the 67 lines and uh, settlement freeze and other things. And yet he, the demands on him of ending incitement and fighting terrorism, etc., that uh, was, were laid out in Washington, we haven't seen much compliance in that regard. Yeah, that's for sure. Were you afraid or worried, or maybe it wouldn't have been a worry, if, that if he would have left Washington, meaning Abbas, if he would have left Washington with, with a date for some type of summit or a, a you know, a, an actual target date that the U.S. would have put forth for some type of three-way uh, meeting or maybe even a, you know, some type of regional meeting in Jerusalem? Well, I don't think you can rule out that that is on the agenda for this visit. Uh, well, that, that supposedly that, is going to be meeting with Abbas and going maybe to Bethlehem, maybe to Ramallah. But the three of them will not meet together, right? No, right. I'm saying that that is a possibility. The three could meet together on this trip. I, I said you can't rule that off the agenda. Is what I'm saying. Wow. Uh, again, I don't know that they've made any final decisions. I don't think that they have. But I would not 
say that that's out of the question. So he could invite, and we know that President Trump sometimes does things, you know, off the cuff. He could invite both leaders, Abbas and Netanyahu, to a meeting. And, of course, I would assume Bibi could not decline a meeting like that, right? Oh, it would be very hard to decline a meeting, and especially the president there. Wow. Where the three would come together. Talk about a Yom Yerushalayim surprise. (laughs) Wow. Right. So they could all join in the celebration of Yom Yerushalayim, recognizing the 3,800-year-old Jewish claim to Jerusalem. But the... it's it's not and if that's one option of something that could uh, could be in the cards, but they're not ready for negotiations because it takes a lot of preparatory work. It takes you have to think about what is the agenda, how are you going to accomplish it? Because of failed talks, failure, I know, will, but will be set things back even worse. But we're and dealing with President Trump, where the, it's irrelevant to that to him. It would seem if they're prepared for the talks. You know, his attitude often is, let's just sit down and get this done with already. Well, he does seem to, you know, he wants to make a deal. He believes he can. He said it. It's a very complicated thing. A lot of people thought they, every president comes in wanting to make the deal, believing that they can do it. That's what you get Nobel Prizes for. That's what you get recognition for. I don't think he, he may not care about that, but, and and maybe sincerely motivated in, in what he wants to do. But um, but the fact is that it's, it is a very complex issue, and there's a lot of work that goes in, goes into it we've seen it maybe a bold move of some kind you know that's what Sadat did he changed the climate between Egypt and Israel or at least created the possibility by taking the bold move of coming and speaking at Knesset and and doing something without the U.S. by the way being involved at the time right correct and and many from that era wish it would have stayed that way frankly Mm -hmm. And, they, and, you know, they, they, you have to look also, uh, there's so many other things going on. You have the Iranian election coming up. We have uh, so many um, uh, issues that are, are really of significance as well now happening in the region, let alone what's going on in Syria, the tensions with Turkey, the you know, virtually on every front, anywhere you talk, there are so many things that Israel, one of the things, of course, they're pressing is that in any talks on Syria that they remember that they've got to keep the Iranians, the Hezbollah, everybody away from the northern border. We know that Iran is building these now two uh, uh, cross-regional um, uh, access routes to the Mediterranean, but they go through Syria, Iraq, uh, Lebanon. Uh, it's part of the Shiite crescent, but it also and also for supply routes. But more importantly, it's the way that they move people that they they assert their uh, controls. Suleimani of the Iran Revolutionary Guard has been there for months. They are are building infrastructure, building up their Shiite militias who will protect it because they don't want to put their own troops down there, down on the along the the, uh, the trans regional highway. I'm talking now about unifying railroads in the region. This is a, a, a big grab on their part for power and, and influence and whatever the outcome in Syria, but also in Iraq and as they are in Yemen and, and in Lebanon now. And for Israel, this poses really serious security uh, issues, which ha- also will be on the agenda. You know, while we think that's only the Palestinian issue, it isn't the case. And, and you're talking about the supply of missiles. You're talking about um, the uh, Israel's ability to respond, given the Russian presence and other considerations, and the changed situation in Lebanon, where Hezbollah today is the government. Um, what did you think of Bibi's revelation that in 2015 he had a, a conversation with Vladimir Putin uh, regarding cooperation between Israel and Russia vis-a-vis Syria? And do you think whatever was discussed in that meeting, if in fact it did lead to cooperation, is still going on today? 
Well, we, we, we did discuss it. Uh, I talked about it after his visit, and um, it clearly it did. There was coordination. You saw that Israeli planes, and now Israeli um, rockets are being fired, uh, not so much planes. Uh, but Israel can't allow, it, it has to be an absolute demand. Israel can't allow more and more sophisticated weapons, especially the rockets, getting to Hezbollah. You know, the ones they have, they have 150,000, but they deteriorate, and they want to get more and more upgraded ones. Hamas certainly has, has accomplished that and are making their own. Today, Iran has established factories inside Lebanon, underground, many of them. Uh, um, we don't know for how many weapons, I mean, what, how many kinds of weapons, but we know for rockets and for more advanced and, and trying to get more and more advanced equipment um, into to Lebanon for Hezbollah. So Israel's responses are an essential. I'm sure that's what the, the marker that the prime minister put down and said, look, we don't want any, God forbid, to kill any Syria, Russians in, in Syria. But understand, this is the red line. And oh, see, I, I thought he re- they've done it. I thought he revealed it this week because things were going in a different direction. He needed to remind Russian leadership about that conversation. I, I, I mean, they have made it clear, and they've talked about it in press conferences. I mean, it's it's never been as explicit, but more implicit about uh, this understanding. And they didn't want to compromise. I guess the Russians don't want to be compromised now. As their Syrian allies, that they made a deal with Israel to allow them to have free reign. Do you think? But, the, I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. No, just I'm against the clock here. Do you think that uh, the president will, in fact, meet with the leader of North Korea, as he expressed earlier in the week? He'd be glad to do so. I don't know that uh, that maniac is really ready to travel. I think he's got to stay home because he's afraid of maybe of a coup at any time. And you're referring and, now to the leader of North Korea, correct? Of course. I'm just joking. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> because we had both. Funny. Uh, thank you. <laughs> at least they got it at some point. <laughs> no. I mean, you know, I for one don't, I, I don't think North Korea poses a direct threat to the United States. They're not going to launch missiles against us and against California they know, or, or even Hawaii. I know that, that they, they know that this is, that we will obliterate any capacity that they have, including him. Um, um, and so what, what I heard some guy calls him King John mentally ill. Oh, um, oh nice one. But, but, uh, uh, but of course it's a threat to, to South Korea. It's a threat to Japan, but most of all, it's the Chinese who, who have the burden on this case. And, and, you know, North Korea, whatever North Korea is doing, we have to remember that it's synergistic with Iran. That this is an integrated program. And you remember the, the nuclear uh, um, factory that the uh, Israelis took out in Syria, right. facility, I should say, um, was a North Korea-Iran project. It wasn't a Syrian project. And they are working together on the missiles, on the ballistic missile capacity, on the nuclear weapons development. All of these things, I think, are, are shared. And we know that the scientists from each country are in the others when they do these tests. So Iran, North Korea should not be dismissed. It's not because it's a direct threat. And I don't think the United States you know, is going to go to war over it. But there are many others who have a much more direct interest. And I know China has put a lot of troops along the border, and their big fear is that millions of North Koreans, should the government collapse, are going to pour to China, as as they have in the past. But that is a a great fear on the part of of, uh, China. 
that could be further destabilizing. And for our listeners who are going to be upset at me over Shabbos, we're not asking about the embassy again uh, with the upcoming trip. We don't know. We have no idea if the President of the United States will make a move regarding the embassy in Jerusalem. Right? We'll move it again. Yeah. Um, no, point, I, I, I don't know what... He, he could make an announcement. It doesn't have to be a move of the actual facility, which right. will take a long time to do. But maybe because it's Yom Yerushalayim, he will make some make of recognition or perhaps do something at one of the consulates. What do you think of his religious liberty executive order that he signed yesterday? Uh, well, I, I, for one, feel that, uh, you know, churches and others should be able to speak their mind, uh, but the, the the point is he can't use tax dollars uh, for it, but but the, that's not what, what has been happening. And if uh, other groups have the right, you know, the, it's not a blank check, but it's, it, is, uh, it is something that uh, people... Supported for a long time. Right. Uh, has Israel um, been criticized, or do you anticipate they soon will be, for the announcement of about 15,000 new homes in East Jerusalem this week? They'll be criticized no matter what. Uh, but you see, it's been pretty muted. The people have already, uh, you know, absorbed all these announcements. And, uh, and and the problem is that often these announcements are re-announcements, not just announcements. Right, By the way, on, on your previous question, I hope that if it passes, rabbis won't just take the opportunity to be to to do endorsements and to get more involved in in the political nitty gritty. I think they should be involved as citizens and stuff, but not use the pulpit for endorsements, but to talk about the issues and to and they're not restricted from doing that now. Well, the, well then it sounds like. But you, I don't want to see shuls divided more because the well, rabbi or somebody gets up and. Well, then it sounds the then it sounds like you would have preferred he not sign that executive order yesterday. No, it's not a question of signing the order. I'm talking about, even without the order. It, you know, people, most of them, uh, churches and church groups have been testing the limit all along and probably violate the, I think, would be proper to say that it, they many of them violated until now, and it wasn't enforced except very on a very selective basis. I know that our organizations are all monitored very carefully, and we don't have the exemption that synagogues and, and war veterans groups, by the way, have, right. where they're allowed to, to lobby and to... You know, right. there's a 5% rule or something. It used to be, I assume it's still in force, where you can't spend more than 5% of your budget, or if it's significant, if lobbying becomes a significant part, right. which is really subjective. Finally, so, with, with the distance in the polls, uh, what do you think on the eve of the French election? Well, it's interesting that President Obama decided to uh, to endorse Macron and uh, ended up with Vive la France. The, the, I don't know if it helps at the, him in the campaign in France, but it, it's uh, the election is very intense, very nasty. Yeah, but also, by the way, nobody's paying attention to the British election, and it's certainly the one in, in Iran, all of them, which are very important. Uh, but the French thing has taken on much broader significance, I think, for direction, future direction in Europe. And um, the debates were really pretty intense and, and sort of reflected sometimes the debates here, but not not fully. It's, the circumstances are clearly different. It'll be interesting to see the outcome. I mean, and and more importantly, you see well, the, you as see, importantly, by the way, is to watch what happens in the parliamentary election. Correct. You see the gap in the, uh, in the um, presidential election, in the polls. Yep. It's pretty significant. Yes, it's very significant, but it depends on the turnout. I heard that usually 80-plus percent of French people vote this time. As much as a third have said that they will not vote because they don't like either of them. And, you know, that happened here where many, many people 
hundreds of thousands in some states didn't fill in the top line. That, you know, that, that's not a commitment to, to democracy. You've got to make a choice and make a decision. And don't complain about the results. And here, if that, if that happens in France, it could affect the outcome. All right. Well, we'll see next week if I complain about the results. Um, <laughs> thank you very much for joining us. Have a good job. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Malcolm Holmline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Fridays for the weekly update here at JM in the AM.